we used to have a script that he wrote, you know, kind of like just try to follow step one, step two, like introduce your guests, do the polite things. But I, I can't follow instructions in any form of my lives. Not tech, at tech, all. Tech, podcast lives, work lives, like, uh, recipes I might have trouble with. But, you know, so sometimes Judy will remind me, he's like, Matt, please introduce your co-host. Please introduce your guests. And then because JD likes to edit, you know, he likes to. He's the hardworking editor. So he likes looks for to. these things like... He likes to, yeah, forced to while indulged. Wow. And, you know, speaking of recipes and instructions, right? You know, for the longest time when I used to follow recipes, a classic problem that I used to encounter was um, kind of like language barrier, right? Not knowing what this means. When it said serving one or serving two, I used to think this means this thing, this quantity that they're suggesting will serve two people, serving two people. You see, I used to completely misinterpret it. And then I used to make like, I end up uh, making the smallest quantity in the world (laughs) without knowing the serving in this context means the serving size. Like there was no concept of a, uh, you know, a serving, like first serving, second serving in um, like India where I grew up, right? So, like I just did not know that there's such Americans a, as a serving. Yeah, Americans like to go for seconds and thirds. <laughs> exactly. So do we. But we didn't call I it resemble that. that. Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps Podcast. Welcome to the Mac DevOps Podcast. Today on our podcast, we are joined by JD, my lovely and beautiful co-host. How are you doing, JD? I'm doing wonderfully, Matt. How are you? I'm doing good. It's a beautiful sunny day here, and I went for a bike ride, so... I win. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. I haven't been for a bike ride in forever, so it's just it's sunny and sort of warm, sort of. So <laughs> <laughs> Today on the podcast we're joined by the amazingly smart, amazingly adaptable culture traveler, world traveler, amazing person, Prima, Prima Varani. How are you doing, Prima? I'm very well, thanks. Thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, I haven't feel felt this good about myself in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the side benefits of the Mac DevOps community. We like to uh, we like to encourage everybody who's doing cool things. And every time I look on Twitter, you're doing something cool. I mean, that's how we uh, found you for Mac DevOps to give you a talk. You were like. I wrote something cool and awesome. I want to share it with the world. And maybe you wrote it better than that. But I, I, I said, she needs to come to Vancouver. And so. Yeah, that was, you know what? That was the last conference I uh, <laughs> went to in person. Like, I have not been to a conference in person after that. So that and it was such a great experience. It makes me want to go to conferences in person. That was that was definitely nice. I definitely miss pre twenty nineteen times when traveling was easier. People <laughs> go to conferences in person and meet so many cool people. It was so much fun. Had you been to Vancouver before, or uh, I had. I'd been there once before. I uh, my partner and I did a road trip from Seattle to Vancouver, like in late twenty eighteen. 
fall 2018 okay. to be precise and that was a lot of fun nice yeah. did you uh see any mountains or wildlife yeah so we went to whistler uh we drove up and um oh. that was cool uh we saw the olympics village and we saw that cool waterfall the two cool waterfalls that come in your way i mean come on your way like when you're driving mm -hmm. uh, to uh, whistler and we thought that was really cool but god it was cold <laughs> in in the fall yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i need to visit vancouver in summer and devops was in summer that was cool but I didn't yeah, drive June. up and down as much then. No, no, it's definitely getting hotter and hotter in the summers here. And uh, but anyway, yes, virtual conferences, <laughs> remote conferences. How fun are they? Yay! Indeed. We get to stay home. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. The I guess one benefit is you can, you know, like do so many of them in such a short amount of time. But is it really a benefit? Is it? It's tough. It's tough. We try to, we, in the last couple of years, we've tried to keep the conference going and try to make it sort of like a live event instead of, uh, I see a lot of other conferences, which are recorded videos, which are cool. When someone takes the time to say, I figured something out and record a video. I mean, my hat's my hat off to those people. Cause that's a lot of work. Right. And, you know, write, writing a talk or making a video is, is tough and, and it's always good to share, but we, we try to do it live. So that adds an extra element of fear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, excitement. <laughs> yes. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Never a dull day. No, I was just saying, um, uh, I recorded for a couple of um, events. You know, I pre-recorded myself, and that was lonely. I actually ended up inviting a bunch of my colleagues uh, during the recording session so that it didn't feel like I was talking to myself. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, did you write a script or did you, uh, were you reading along with slides or how did you do it? I just pretended like I was in a conference, in a live conference, like I usually am. Because I don't know any other way, you know, I've never been the uh, read of a script type. Um, I think I uh, vibe with the audience and then basically that's how I get my flow. So nice yeah plus like um i think for me it's always been more about you know knowing my content really well and then like it never goes as, as planned okay sometimes i think to myself i'll spend more time on this slide i'll cover all these topics and uh in the moment i sometimes don't end up covering all of them but it still goes fairly well and you know just that like i feel like in that moment what comes out is always ultimately nice it's never bad. It's a shared experience, yeah, right? You're, yeah. sh you're sharing. Yeah. And I think and there's also an element of uh, what the audience is interested in, right? So you kind of read your audience and uh, maybe like just sleepwalk through a couple of slides, but then like really <laughs> take a break and pause on uh, a pause at a place where you didn't think you would uh, just because like people seemed engaged suddenly. So even that happens. Well, I hope we can do it in person again one day, and I hope uh, you get to go to other conferences too soon. Likewise. Matt definitely adheres to your uh, not following the script, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, standing up on stage, I felt like I was a bad stand-up comedian, a lot of bad jokes, um, but uh, I had to record one talk. Yeah, 
I had to record one talk for an Australian conference and I had like a rough keynote slide, but I think I recorded it 10 times. And even the last time felt like it was off the cuff, but it was still, I still tried it 10 times. I'm like, how do I sound sort of natural? Like just stumbling over words, you know, if you're by yourself. Wow. And and for the people that were pre-recording their talks, which they tried to get people to pre-record, um, because time zones too, right? Time zones are another thing. You, you might might be online and at home, but you might be asleep. <laughs> but some people pre-recorded and then they would just sit in the chat and then heckle themselves in the chat, you know, which is kind of fun. You're like, oh, I can't believe that guy said that. <laughs> that he's so weird. Um, and that, that that is the fun. And, uh, that is fun. And and also, I think last year we had some, some uh, people record their talks because, I mean, if they wanted more time to practice or, in, you know, English is not your first language, you want to try practicing your talk a few times. Even, even me, I should practice more, right, JD? I mean, practice first and foremost is always helpful, but yeah, more is even better. Because this is well rehearsed. <laughs> today, today on the podcast, we uh, wanted to uh, invite Prima because she posted this really cool link to an article on automation and avoiding burnout and security and tech. And it was just like all the uh, hashtags that I follow. So uh, welcome, Prima. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for paying attention to my posts, I guess, and also for reading through them. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for reaching out. I really enjoy talking about that stuff. Um, last year has been, you know, amazingly productive. Um, and it's been very rewarding in a way that, um, you know, like it's one thing to be able to um, boot yourself out of work. And it's another thing to be able to boot your entire team out of their old jobs. So last year felt a little bit like that, you know, that um, suddenly my team doesn't have to have so much uh, cognitive load um, trying to do repetitive things anymore. And that was cool. Uh, That's why I was so excited about it. Um, I spoke about it a bunch last year as well at a couple of conferences and that was very well received. And, um, you know, I definitely wanted to put it out there in form of like a written document as well because there's so much that you can say with words you know sometimes uh, it's more helpful for people to be able to see the infrastructure diagrams or to be able to see uh, an example of what it looks like in person you know uh, what do these uh, playbooks that I talk about look like sometimes it's more useful to be able to share a, a link to an article and not you know that's like seven minutes long versus sitting through a talk that's 30 minutes long right so yeah, decided to just publish it and I guess it worked. You're brave and thank you for sharing. Of course, thank you so much. Uh, what part about it do you think is brave? Taking a stand and you know, putting words on paper is an act of bravery. And I find that you know, I may have some kids in my house and I may be a procrastinator myself. So when you have a deadline, when you have to, when you want to express something, maybe it's easier when you want to, uh, but certainly, there's a bit of stress sometimes when you want to find the, in French, they say le mot juste or the right word, or you want to say it the right way. So um, how do you, how do you, how, what is your process for, how was your process for writing this? For Did you brainstorm it? Did you have it perfectly formed in your head? No. So my process of writing it was basically sit down to write till I get in the uh, flow state. 
Um, so I think for me, that's been definitely a key in both uh, actual coding and the act of writing um, or, you know, any creative pursuit, really. And I do consider cr- coding and writing both a creative pursuit, no matter how technical. Because, you know, it's like it's the act of creating something, right? And um, uh, the fact that you're sitting down, the first maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes, uh, you'll be probably like, oh, well, how do I even English? But uh, after the first, you know, I definitely think about my sentences a lot because um, um, English, again, is not my first language either. So sometimes I feel like my sentence structures tend to get uh, more complex uh, and that happens um, kind of in the early stage of the writing process. So I write the draft, you know, I try to write it as quickly as possible, meaning uh, get all the words out there first. But then sometimes I also go back and forth in the sense that um, I'll write a little bit, then I'll actually, before, you know, continuing forward, I'll read through what I've written uh, so far. I'll even do the edits along the way sometimes. And um, uh, yeah, because it's so much easier, you know, I feel like clarity of thought also comes with like visual clarity occasionally if you're if if my words are just like i'm just like vomiting the words on the paper then that becomes a lot like it's very cluttery it's um it just doesn't give me as much clarity so then if i format it neatly and there's the whole you know title subtitle body italics bold everything you know neatly highlighted then it gives me a better flow kind of progressing forward as well i think the part that i find the most challenging is usually the opening remarks uh, which I think is so important I like uh, go over it you know that's probably the section that I go over and I redo the most in my entire paper because I feel like if you don't have the audience uh, in the first you know 30 seconds and you've lost them they're not going to continue to read through it so uh, I try to make it you know like that billboard on the highway that you you're like going through because you know it is like that in this information age uh, going through websites going through content is like people you sprint past it until something really captivates you so if it hasn't captivated you in the first few seconds then you've zoomed past it already you're on to the next thing already so you write basically like an action movie you know you got to get them in the first scene yeah Actually, I do try. I try. I I won't say I write like that, but I would say I try to write like that because um, I do know how important that is in this like attention economy world where everyone's fighting for your attention, right? I like it. You you, you wrote really well, and um, you, like like you said, you you made some diagrams to try and show like the concepts you're you're talking about. I mean. Uh, how did you, uh, what kind of diagramming tool were you using or how did you, were you using that to flesh out your ideas or did you have those before? Or? Yeah, so uh, one of the diagrams that I've shared, I think I've shared a couple. One of the diagrams I've shared was um, the actual infrastructure, what it looks like in AWS. That part was created by the people who created Sockless, the open source tool I used. Um, that was created by the good folks at Twilio, particularly Ubani. Shout out to Ubani. He created the tool and um, I think he did a very good job at uh, not only him, but everybody who is maintaining Saxon and Ubani primarily. Um, everybody who is maintaining uh, Sockless. I've done uh, fantastic job at documentation and this diagram was a part of that documentation so um, that is something that I took 
that they have created um, but the other diagram was a screenshot AWS created it for me uh, because <laughs> yeah it was it was a step function um, diagram of a step function runbook right so all the steps were uh, basically written in Python and then the sequence was uh, written in JSON uh, but AWS does a really fantastic job at actually diagramming the sequence in form of like blocks. And um, I just took a screenshot of one of those um, blocks. So yeah, that's how the diagrams were created. Um, I do have, I have created um, internal diagrams um, for, you know, uh, to be able to show it to people how, you know, different components of our architecture connect with this tool. Uh, what's the, you know, what data comes in, what data goes out and where does it go and what flow does it follow? Uh, but that's, of course, proprietary insider internal information. <laughs> so uh, that's not something that I could share publicly. But you took the time to generalize and, and to talk about the work of a team of people and to and to share that with other people and to, to explain that. 100%. And of course, you know, uh, how can I forget the editors? I had so many people help me edit this as well. Um, I went through at least, you know, it, it went through at least five different people uh, before it was published already and you know uh, they provided some amazing feedback that all of my teammates basically and my you know different managers and um, the CISO Colleen uh, she also took her time to read through it and she did that out of a busy schedule which is I think that's you know very supportive so all of that helped a lot and um, uh, Colleen actually uh, also suggested a book to me uh, earlier last year, which really helps, uh, it, it helped determine my kind of writing philosophy and my speaking philosophy as well. So the book was called Made to Stick. It was about what ideas stick, what type of messages stick and what type of messages don't. And uh, what, like the ones that stick, why do they, what makes them stick, right? So uh, the whole, you know, billboard um, uh, uh, analogy that I just gave you, that was probably inspired from that book as well. I don't remember specifically what was inspired from there versus what was inspired from other places. But um, yeah, that book really uh, played a key role in helping me rethink how am I putting my messages out there and uh, what may make them effective versus, you know, what might be easily overlooked. Nice. Do you recommend book reading to other people? 100%. Of course I do. And I'm, I'm sure you do as well. What have you been reading of late? Oh, man. Uh, not much. My wife is such a book, good book reader and she reads so much and she was, I will, I will say this in a funny way. She was tripping out about this book about mushrooms, about how amazing fungus <laughs> is. Like she loves to, to garden and to grow things. And, uh, but yeah, mushrooms, I, I can't stand to eat them, but I, I appreciate that fungus is a very complex, you know, non-animal, non-plant hybrid species, almost like a robot. Matt, you're just not a fun guy. Ouch. I walked into that <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, I think I read a couple of books in the start of the pandemic that my wife, of course, took out. And she's like, you have to read these books. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to learn X, Y, and Z that I need to know by tomorrow. And she's like, read a book. And so I read these books that were about pandemics just as this one was started. And I think that scarred me a bit. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> I think people have been writing flu-like, you know, virus 
you know, dystopias for a few years and now we finally got it. <laughs> um, but oh yeah, my God. Um, yeah, called it. yeah, they called it. I, I read those books and I, we started it, but what brought us to this moment where Prima is being interviewed on the Mac DevOps podcast? Tell us your tech origin story or what part you want to share. What, what brought you to the point where you now you're publishing blog posts? I'll start with the short version first. And if you're Short interested, term. I can go into the long version. Um, I studied in Australia, did my uh, bachelor's degree there. Um, I studied cyber forensics and information security management. That was my major. And um, then got into the workforce um, in Australia. Used to work in Perth. For about three years, I worked there and then moved to the Bay Area in 2015. Um, and then I've been here ever since. So um, been working at different tech companies media finance you, you name it oh. yeah that's the short of it what kind of things do you like doing at work like what things you know if i was being paid to podcast i'd be the happiest boy in the whole world but you know what are you doing for work what what kind of things are you know you know do you like working with json or you like working with SaaS tools or what kind of what part of your work is like you know that is you know wh where are you at and where do you want yeah to for sure i definitely love working with all things technical so um you know sometimes i feel like wow i i feel like uh the Marie condo of code i'm like i love mess you know <laughs> i love um complex um weird errors i don't know it, it sounds so weird right <laughs> I, love, I love the coding mess i love simplifying it I love uh, simplifying things. I love debugging. It feels like solving a puzzle. I love um, just making things out of code and making things magically work. And of course, I love helping people with their codes as well if they need help. So far, I've primarily worked with Python and um, a lot of AWS infrastructure stuff. So worked with Terraform, of course. You can't escape Terraform if you do AWS anything <laughs> and infrastructure is code anything. So yeah, lots of Terraform, lots of um, serverless infrastructure uh, for managing Lambdas particularly because Terraform you know, doesn't do it very well. So plus Sockless the tool that I used for automation that I talked about in my blog post, that's based on the serverless framework. So uh, it was, you know, last year was very serverless heavy. And a lot of the systems that I was connecting my system with were uh, written in Go. So a lot of Go last year as well. So it was, you know, a good mix of Go and Python and Terraform. Yeah, this year has been similar. So this year, uh, and ever since, not only this year, since like late last year, I've been dabbling into a lot of EKS, uh, which is Amazon hosted Kubernetes. Um, I, I, um, I set up a service on EKS, um, service called Fleet DM. I'm sure there are many people from Fleet in the Mac DevOps uh, community. Yeah, wow. yeah. So uh, my next blog post is actually going to be about uh, hosting Fleet DM on Kubernetes. Then. What? Yeah. I had no, I had no idea you were working on that. We just interviewed uh, Mike from Fleet Hi, DM. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, Mike. Uh, other no. Mike. Mike McNeil. Yeah, we had a great convo with Mike. He's uh, smart and so <laughs> handsome. Yeah, he's really helpful. And trapped in a phone booth. <laughs> he was trapped in a phone booth <laughs> oh when we interviewed God. him. But um, 
is very like I cannot recommend um, the fleet crew enough. You know, um, I think you know with Sockless and um, Fleet, I've definitely found my two most favorite open source communities. So active, so happy to help uh, all the time, and you know, s- such nice people, like genuinely nice people, who just want to do good in the world. You know, beat Mike, beat Zach just amazing communities both of these i feel so lucky that they are the two you know big projects that i've been involved in in the last year and a half or so wow people are going to think you're a plant or a you know a shill for fleet that we are interviewing you just because you're talking about fleet i had no idea that you were doing anything with them but of course i wanted to ask you because we asked you originally to be a speaker because of your security angle and how you're i was I'm going to ask you how how all your coding and all your stuff is relating to security, and then then you talked about Fleet. So how how is the world of security and your and your involvement in it? Um, what brought you to OS Query and Fleet? File integrity monitoring, my friend. File integrity monitoring brought me to OS Query and Fleet. And um, of course, if you have the um, FIM you know agent, and if you're using OS Query for it then you need an orchestration tool because you need to be able to run queries at a regular you know schedule interval and um, you need be, you, you need to be able to manage all of that infrastructure kind of neatly in one place so fleet was basically the answer we uh, evaluated a bunch of tools and um, fleet came out as a clear winner especially on the open source side plus you know when Fleet used to be a part of Collide. I'd um, used it back in 2018 as well and had a pretty good experience with it. It's become even better now. So uh, that, that was my, you know, kind of, there was no com- competitor in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm well, not paid by Fleet. Or Mike. No. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Totally random chance that I live near Zach, and uh, we we uh, I need to go and we need to go walk around the park. We uh, we have a park in between us, so I need to need to see him and pay him his his money, or he needs to pay me for this. Uh. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no, and what led you to EKS and Kubernetes uh, fleet and OS Query was so easy to set up. You thought I need a challenge. I'm going to make this like hundred percent right. So I think it was a difficult. combination of both. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, everybody sets it up on EC2, like big deal. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I really wanted to explore the EKS infrastructure. You know, I wanted to know how things are set up because if our engineers are doing that, if that's the path they're going, then us as security practitioners need to be familiar with that path all the pitfalls or the challenges of it um, need to know what's what you know i feel like as you spend a few years in tech or a few decades in tech it's all about just knowing what's that thing called because it's mostly the same things that are part of like every infrastructure they're just called different so you just need to get the mapping right for most parts or at least that's how i feel about it now so in order to know what the jargon was in order to know what the language was so to speak um i wanted to be able to launch it and i you know it was quite i it, I, it felt quite good in the end because i was one of the um, uh, first people to launch it on um you know in kind of a cross account setup uh, versus, you know, having the entire um, ecosystem in one AWS account. 
Um, so that also made it doubly challenging. I was the first person to set that up. And so that meant a lot of the debugging that I had to do, you know, I was sometimes on my own. Our engineers on the tooling team and infrastructure team were amazingly nice and supportive. And, you know, they also sometimes reached a place where they were like, well, uh, we don't know what that does. You find out. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that actually happened. And that felt oddly satisfying. And then I was able to help in some of our, you know, other teams of engineers back with, you know, what I'd learned in my journey. And I was able to help their kind of cross account setups and stuff. So that felt kind of nice. Plus, you know, it's definitely the, the infrastructure we've set up now. It definitely feels very future proof versus if we just kind of gone the regular, you know, set everything up in an EC2 um, instance way. Uh, this feels more future-proof. Like the for database, uh, we use RDS. Uh, for uh, the MySQL database is all set up in RDS. Then the Redis is all set up in, you know, Amazon's Redis ecosystem. So, uh, and then the app is running on EKS. So it's very modular, you know, and all these modules now talk well with each other so yeah feels very future proof very it feels very scalable as well because all these like eks containers you can you know set them up to auto scale i'm sure you, uh, there's a way to do it with ec2s as well but um all in all feels nice. very future proof that's why i went that route and that's why i'm also planning to write about it you're going to talk about it you're going to give a talk or are you gonna write about it? I can talk about, about it, but I don't know how many people would be interested in that talk because it's very like uh, it's easier. That one I feel is easier to show than tell. Uh, it's easier to show like the commands that I needed to run, the files I needed to change, the errors I kept encountering. I think that would be a great talk. I think it would be an awesome talk. I would learn a lot, and I would love to see how you. You know, every I don't know. I'm making up my own expressions here, but every 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 mountain is a molehill after you've crossed the mountain, and you go, oh, I got over that problem. I figured that out. You know, why was it stopping me? But you know, and there's I I love stories where people you know are solving problems and figuring stuff out. So I would definitely 100% pay to hear that talk. Okay, thank you for your encouragement. I'll try <laughs> and make it into a talk. <laughs> Uh, I definitely need to, now that, you know, I've announced it on this channel that I need to write about it. I think that that's also, you know, good motivation to actually sit down and write about it. Cause I you have three months to write a quick talk or any length of talk you feel exactly. like, but that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I want to keep you on the podcast for hours so I can learn about the stuff. You mentioned this word that I wasn't, I haven't heard before, but scalable. How does how, how did how how do you build for scale? What 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 did you think ticked the right boxes there? Was it uh, Kubernetes or just plunking it all in Amazon? Or I think uh, a bit of both, plunking it all in Amazon, and then you know being able to because everything was uh, hosted in its own little uh, you know ecosystem in its own little service, right? So if I want to scale, say my um, uh, SQL database, I want to um, make it like bigger in size or whatever, I could just do it as code. It would be a one line change. Um, if I wanted to increase my Redis cluster size or like um, increase how many you know nodes it has, I could do that easily as well. Uh, one line change again. Nice. Um, EKS, same thing. So everything, you know, having literally this entire thing was set up as code. Um, that was, that I felt like the, was the best part about it. 
um, anybody can see what are the settings on this thing or what are the settings on that thing? How does it launch? How does it work? Upgrading is so easy. For upgrades on Kubernetes, um, at, at the moment, all I have to do is um, upgrade my fleet version in this Docker file, uh, get a new image created, uh, and then like uh, basically redeploy uh, with that, you know, uh, redeploy on Kubernetes and it'll uh, pull the right, you know, latest version of the image. And uh, yeah, it's as simple as that. You're awesome. Thank you. And then, you know, of course, upgrading doesn't require me to kind of touch my databases at all. So it just lives in its own little, you know, world uh, completely unaffected. So the databases are the single point of, so those are your single points of failure than your database. <laughs> you can say so. Yeah. But I mean, what, what is the, what is the value of the data in OS query? I mean, seriously, I mean, right. We capture a lot of data, we log it, we put it somewhere. What are we using or how do we use that data? How do we make best use? Is it, is it diagnostic? Is it future? Is it, are we being, are we logging it and then analyzing it with either machine learning or some kind of rules like look for this error or what are we doing with that? So different database. people use it for different things, right? If you are an SRE team, you might use it for uh, availability and uptime and you know capacity monitoring. Um, if you're a security team, which in our case we are, we use it to set up alerts when we see weird things um, and suspicious things, right? So for, our, for us, that's the use case. Um, look for oddities, uh, look for things that look um, unusual in case of um, incident. I want to quickly be able to tell what was, you know, what processes were running on this uh, particular host in the last 24 hours. Where do I see that? Well, I can see that fairly quickly in OS query because we have this query running at a regular interval every 30 minutes that logs all the processes running on this particular host. So I can quickly see, uh, you know, what the 30 minute snapshots of that look like over the last 24 hours. That's powerful. That's not. That's amazing. Yeah. And also real-time queries, right? In during an investigation, I need to be able to quickly check um, what, what PIDs um, are associated with what processes and so on. Uh, how do I do that? Well, I log into Fleet and I run a live query on that particular host um, and I can quickly get the answer. Or I can also jump onto that particular host and uh, run a live query using OS Query I. Uh, but why would I do that if I have the host enrolled in Fleet already? I think we should crowdfund and start a detective show with Prima as a detective and um, doing real live querying. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, security that detective-like feeling was definitely uh, what I was going for when I thought of uh, going into cyber forensics as a you know, major. Definitely felt that Sherlock Holmes vibes. And it's amazing that I still do feel those, you know, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes vibes uh, during, you know, different incidents, um, especially when things are not as, you know, um, straightforward and you need to uh, do some digging around, you know, context and everything. What happened before this? What happened after this? What happened, you know, on other systems around this time? 
pivoting and what you know information can yield so like you have one alert set up that gives you uh, three or four different you know points of interest and then you take those for example uh, suspicious looking ip and then you uh, pivot and look for that ip now uh, instead of that specific user id for example that ip yields like five other user ids that are also suspicious or you take that like domain and then uh, look for um, that domain and that email id and you suddenly find you know 10 different emails associated with that domain that's definitely suspicious and now you've uncovered you know five or ten suspicious user accounts from this one alert on this one user account how cool Whoa. is that that is so cool right you you are the coolest prima no i would say that there are people that are way cooler out there but i really like doing this work i can say that it's it's fun. It's fun. I, uh, as an IT, uh, you know, consultant and sysadmin in a past life, uh, occasionally you have to do some security work when occasionally like you may have been hacked or something. <laughs> so I remember one time there was an incident where some, some, uh, it was like an RC hack and somebody had like, uh, uh, guessed the credentials of some user and then logged in with SSH from a country into the server. And I was like, this looks weird. <laughs> and then somehow I discovered that the find command, one of my favorite unit command has a find by ID. And so then I just did a find on what does this person like own on the system? And I'm like, Ooh, just unraveled like all this hidden stuff that I wouldn't have never found, but because I did a little search for what does this person own? I'm like this person wouldn't own these files in hidden folders and all this stuff and so yeah sometimes security work is uh scary frightening and awesomely exciting <laughs> yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and sometimes you end up you know finding nothing that's as you know sad and disappointing as it feels that also happens so uh what do you do right you then like have a theory and a hunch that you go with and uh, try and find something, anything. You just educate yourself uh, and learn how to look better. You know what I mean? Like learn how to look for things uh, in places and ways that you didn't previously know of or th thought of. So I really appreciate, you know, I think malware analysis is something that has always um kind of fascinated me i i think those people are the coolest if you ask me people who like uh, analyze malware and are able to reverse engineer them find iocs uh, on them and so on that is an entire skill that you know i feel like i could i could definitely use that and maybe yeah. get better at my job in the in these times of the Olympics, we'll say IOC is indicators of compromise and not International Olympic Committee, um, but acronyms. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's it, there's so many awesomely cool people working in security and sharing their knowledge, and uh, I feel I feel blessed to have met some of them and to to be surrounded by all these smart people. And we need we need the community and need the community of people to share. And how would you recommend someone to get into security, or where would you? Uh, uh, wh what would you recommend to them to, to help them learn? I don't know if I can, you know, because so many people, I feel like first, I've, little, I've, I've seen so little of um, the security community at all. The security community is huge, fans across countries, across generations, across, you know, so many like different types of people. A lot of the people basically like 
everyone i've met has had a very different uh, origin story um, about how they came into security you know the a person who's the ciso where i work at the moment she has joined the community using you know she used to be a technical writer then she became a tech manager and then um, became a you know security manager that's how she's come join then there are so many people i know who've had sysadmin backgrounds and um, eventually gotten into security network admins eventually gotten into security so many people like me who you know did a security major and were lucky enough to find a job in security as well in a world where nobody wants to hire juniors uh, which is very sad so many people get in through internships So I'd say really there are so many ways to get in right which one do you recommend none you don't recommend any you uh, every it's like everybody figures out for themselves what will be the best way for them to get in right for some it's networking for others they they're just like you know extremely gifted into at interviews so like yeah do as many interviews as possible and Hopefully you land one, land one job, and for the others, um, it's it's through connections, through like you know knowing people who already work in the community who are willing to take a chance on you. Uh, the question mm-hmm. is, how do you make people believe that you can do this, especially you know when you're so new and so early and starting out? um that's the i think that's a better question to ask what's the best way what's the, which superpower of yours can you use to make the world around you believe that you're capable of doing this job is it through showing your you know certifications or all this all these extra hours that you put in um towards volunteering in the community or um is it your you know previous work experience that you are now successfully able to map uh to your you know security jobs requirements what's your skill how are you going to be able to do it good questions wow right you hack them <laughs> and then you say see you got hacked and i can fix this for right? you no <laughs> yeah bug bounties you i mean i i know so many people uh who would actually you know be really good at bug bounties and then uh ultimately get you know companies to make offers to them some bug bounty hunters are so good that they would also be like well why would i i'm making so much more per hour with all my bug bounty submissions versus like being tied to this one employer why would i do that right so there's that as well you can you there's so many ways that's the thing i think that's the best part in my opinion there's so many ways to get into the uh, industry There's so many talented people that disassemble and and disassemble malware or disassemble apps or fuzz or reverse engineer and here I am struggling to make simple things work and <laughs> but you know uh one day it could be kubernetes another day it could be just you know linux stuff another day it's like what does this python stuff mean jd what does this python stuff right mean, tell me about it um, i mean speaking of which i've like uh now that you know i'm building so much and talking about building so much there was a time where i did not i had not done coding for you know years um the security industry was not uh, focused on building everything was 
buy everything was uh, know your networks and know your systems and that's all you needed so when i came to america from you know my previous job experiences were not at all associated with building it's only after uh, moving to the bay area that i kind of really started to see the power of building and you know learn python and learn how to write glue code and you know everything i'd even forgotten my uh, coding basics i'd say almost entirely it it has definitely been a journey and then once i started i could just like never stop like now if you ask me uh, what do i want to do i'd say i want to continue to do this and i do i want to get into the ml space um hopefully soon as well um to start you know using all these models to uh, surface uh, anomalies uh, in ways that we'd have you know never thought about before so ml would be machine learning and so you want to you we need someone to study and to analyze the data that we're capturing so we need brilliant young minds like yours like who's i i'm sure you're talking to jack right yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah people are doing so many cool things out there man i wish i could do them all so go versus python you said you've been working in both what what nice things do you have to say about go very structured very mess mess up your syntax proof very mess up your um, data structures proof strictly written that's definitely a good thing a python very easy to just you know run with and make it your own very easy to follow sorry dmat never 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 i i <laughs> Even with this Z shell, Z shell, I will never, never, yeah, never let go of Bash. Uh, yeah, the things that I can build in Bash, though I did have a code review recently, and one of the code reviews was, can you make this more scalable? I'm, I'm like, you mean less hacky? <laughs> like less <laughs> less crappy Bash code and more scale it? Hmm, I'll take that into consideration. Thank you for your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you so much, Prima. Is there anything you want to share with us? Is, uh, you memorized any poems you want to share with us or uh <laughs> huh. poems that that's an interesting question because that's something that i also do on the site i don't write poems but um, there's this like poetry oh. up in san francisco that i'm a part of so that is so cool yeah, i knew you were cool oh thank you huh unfortunately i can't remember any now that you're asking me i i love poems too i mean I mean, we all we usually in school, we get hit with a baseball bat of English literature classes that are terrible. My mom was a poet, so occasionally she wrote good poems. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> Is she a publisher? Yeah, hi, mom. She listens to this podcast. I love you, mom. You're <laughs> awesome. I, I didn't mean occasionally you write good poems. I meant you always write good poems. Just I just prefer the non-autobiographical poems, mom. Wow. <laughs> I'm a terrible procrastinator. You know, I don't know if it's fear of perfection or just fear of just doing anything crappy. But um, my mom, one nice thing my mom ever said was she's like, don't edit while you write, just write. Like, and that's good if you're a procrastinator, just get some words down, brainstorm. And I use that for, you know, technical writing. And I haven't written any poems, but uh, some some decent blogs, maybe. Poems bring you friends and a lot more if you are in the right community. You know, I actually you write better poems. The, the person <laughs> I am, uh, you know, with now married to is somebody I met at that poetry meetup. 
Wow, that's awesome. Hot you're tip. not friends, nice. but also life partners. <laughs> nice. That is so beautiful. Never lose, never lose faith in Oh, that's, that's just, that's a beautiful story. And I love that. Well, you are awesome, Prima. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mac DevOps podcast. And um, I hope we can uh, see you again in the future at Mac DevOps or wherever you speak or wherever you write. Uh, we recommend people to be there because you are awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for inviting. Thank you so much for putting together this wonderful community and this amazing platform. I get so many ideas watching, you know, your talks and uh, attending the Mac DevOps uh, con in general. Thank you so much again for all the work that you uh, put into it behind the scenes. It's amazing. It takes so many hours and so much commitment. All the hard work is thanks to JD. All the uh, you know crazy ideas are thanks to me. Where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me on the internet uh, on Twitter. Um, I go by the handle sec nerdet like security nerdet like uh, you know female nerd i know slightly complex handle but uh, i like it so i'm just gonna keep it and roll with it uh that's my twitter handle and then on linkedin you can find me uh, by my first name and my last name my first name is prima last name is varani those are the two you know places you can definitely find me at we expect the uh, job offers to start rolling in any time now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I really love talking to you all, and um, I love being a part of this community. The Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast is looking for sponsors. Support and encourage developers in IT to work together to solve problems for our community by sponsoring Mac DevOps. If you're interested in sponsoring the Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast, send an email to hello at mdoyvr.com. Thank you to our awesome Mac DevOps sponsors. Thank you to Simple MDM, our gold sponsor for Mac DevOps 2022. Thank you so much to everybody at Simple MDM for your support. We really appreciate it. Please find SimpleMDM at SimpleMDM.com. We look forward to more sponsors for our conference. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. I didn't do it. I just Googled it and figured it out. <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>